You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Usually, what I do is uh, I have an empty box. So if I'm going to go out to um, my uh, to do a competition and I'm doing my practice days, I'll work through it just as I was explaining earlier with that foam pad on the the top of my box, but. As I'm coming into patterns and things that I uh, I think are are working, I'll I'll absolutely make notes, like written down uh, notes on it, and I will uh, start to build rows of uh, things inside of my empty box. And so when I get back uh, after the practice sessions, I can look back, compare my notes and uh, the flies in that box, and I know okay, well here's here's all the patterns for this lake, here's the patterns for this lake, here's the patterns for this. How was it? I was fishing them, these lines, these retrieves, that type of a thing. Um, so, you know, that's flight choices. But, you know, I, I tend to throw in a bunch of patterns in the practice sessions that uh, I come across that are maybe significant patterns in other areas of the world. And there's def- they definitely transfer. That is the voice of Mike Learmont. Now, Mike is a competitive fly fisher. He's based out of Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. He uh, was on the 2018 Team Canada Commonwealth fly fishing team that went to Ireland. They won Team Silver. Um, first international team podium finish, actually, for Canada. He went as a reserve angler, ended up fishing a couple river sessions. He was also in the 2018 North America Lockstyle Championship, won Team Gold. Uh, with the Kingfishers, uh, an individual bronze medalist. His resume is long and just a great all-around guy to chat with. We're going to talk uh, all kinds of cutting-edge killer patterns. Uh, I think you might pick up a few things. Uh, thanks, Mike, for joining us. He's up next. First, I want to thank the top 10 cities uh, for listening to the podcast. Esperanto, California was in the number one slot this week, followed by Des Moines, Iowa, Sacramento, California, Placerville, California, San Francisco, California, Denver, Colorado, Columbus, Ohio, Española, New Mexico, Langley, British Columbia, and Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Mike Learmont, up next. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you chose to join us today. And we're going to head out to British Columbia, Canada, uh, Surrey to be specific. We've got Mike Learmonth on the line. Now, Mike, um, by day, is an investment advisor, but he's also a competitive fly fisher and definitely has a huge stoke for all things fins and flies. Um, he's a uh, BC Comp Fly Fishing League. He's in that league and a team Kingfisher member from the 2016 National Championships. They finished second, got the silver medal, and uh, there's so much we can talk about. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. So uh, I always like to start the, the, the show... Uh, hit the rewind button and for those that are maybe a little younger that's uh, the old cassette days just take it back to the beginning um kind of reset how did you come to discover fly fishing um well i think the moving into fly fishing was probably secondary to just a general passion for fishing um you know when i was a kid we'd spend a lot of time over on vancouver island at a a place there by Ladysmith called Yellow Point, and it was just a campsite that our family would go to. And man, I would spend just days, you know, six years old down on the dock catching a little perch off of the, the dock with wieners and cheese, that kind of thing. Um, so that was my, my introduction to catch and fish. And from there, we would um, eventually the, the family got a, 
I think it was actually one of those 12 foot uh, Sears V holes, those red <laughs> Sears V holes you used oh, to see man. all the time. Those things were bulletproof. I remember those. Oh, they were great boats. But um, yeah, my dad picked one of those up, and um, we would we would run out um, from the campsite out to Polier Pass and uh, uh, Silva Bay, which you could reach out there, and we spent summers just salmon fishing and cod fishing out in those waters. So that's really where the where the stoke for fishing got started. Um, mm-hmm. Fly fishing was more later, you know. But I think I was maybe about. I want to say, like when I was out of high school, maybe 20 years old, a, a buddy of mine, and uh, we, we went and bought rods and the old school float tubes and the fins, and um, we'd just go hit a lot of the, you know, the smaller lakes up around uh, the Harrison region and whatnot, and mm-hmm. sort of taught ourselves to, to do it. So when you look back, you know, um, and that's honestly, that's kind of a typical journey. I hear a lot of people start, in, whether it's spin fishing or maybe trolling or maybe a little salmon fishing, fishing the bigger lakes, uh, creeks and whatnot. But yep. when you kind of make that transition into fly fishing, I know for a lot of us, it kind of becomes an obsession and <laughs> it's like a different gear. Why don't you walk us through who's kind of influenced you along the way? So if you have to look back at your fly fishing journey, yeah. Is there a few rods? Is there a few people in your life, a few mentors? Oh, sure. um, throw them at me. Uh, well, no particular order, I guess. You know, family first. So my dad was uh, pretty instrumental in that. They used to, I remember, um, I think 20, 25 years, he had a group of buddies that would uh, do an annual fishing trip up to, to High Hume Lake. Um, and, uh, later in life when few of the guys can, can join it anymore, uh, I took up a spot and got to, to go there. So that was really when I started to get a little bit more serious about the Stillwater stuff was, uh, you know, spending uh, a week and a half on, on high Hume uh, Lake just consistently. That's where, where things really started to, to turn for me. So definitely my dad would be in there. Um, you know, we, we were just talking about, I got a lot of great teammates from the competitive side and uh, we just share so much information. So all of those guys are, the, the the list is long there. It's not just people that I've fished with directly, but just a lot of people in that scene are so helpful, even outside of our own country, other people that I've bounce ideas off all the time. And Ireland in particular comes to mind, Peter Driver over there and, uh, so lots of lots of people from that community, and I think uh, you've probably heard Todd's name come up before from guys like me. But <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he's put a lot back into uh, into the um, uh, the sport uh, through you know just different seminars and things that that he's ran over the years. And I'd have to include him on the list because you know, as a new guy into it, I took all the different seminars, and when I heard he was offering something, I was probably sitting in the front row. So, he's been an instrumental guy as well. That's uh, Todd Oshie, who we've had on the show. I believe Todd's still the president of Fly Fishing Canada, competitive fly fisher, and it amazes me how I just I hear one name, and then you guys all know each other. You all kind of yeah, you know, <laughs> a lot of the same circles. So. Uh, yeah, we had Todd on early in the show, like kind of not long after I started. And I had, I think I mentioned this before, but I had to turn it into two shows, man. The guy was a walking, talking. Oh, well, that sounds normal. Encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Uh, he's, he's the guy that you just sit down with a pen and paper and, uh, if he's speaking, you just let him go and you, you write it all down, <laughs> figure it out later. Well, that's see. So for me, as somebody that's a total amateur, that just is really passionate about getting on the water, I love the entomology aspect of it, and yep. there's just so much to know. But when I, the reason that I kind of keep gravitating towards you guys in the competitive space is because I always think there's some cutting edge things happening there. Like I, when mm-hmm. you look back with the blobs and the boobies, some of these patterns that we weren't fishing that you guys have been fishing for a very long time. I'm like, um, okay, well maybe, maybe the learning curve could be a little quicker here. Like, is, has that been your experience since you got into the competitive thing, Mike? Like, it, yeah, absolutely. You know, it just kind of shortens that curve. Yeah, I've had people, you know, inquire about coming out and, or, you know, at times people know I, I participate in these competitions. And so they might not be interested in the competition side of things per se. 
you know, they don't have any plans to, to go anywhere with it, but I still encourage them to join some of the local competitions because there is no faster path to, uh, you know, learning things than being part of that, that group. Um, and that was told to me, I, I got a phone call out of the, the blue one day from Todd and I was, um, they were, I think I'm going back to maybe about 2015 or yeah, I guess 2015, maybe somewhere in there. And, um, and he had a local competition going on at that point in time. I wasn't part of the, the community at all, but I was on the sidelines looking in and I had taken a few of his seminars and that, that's the exact advice that he gave me is if you want to learn how to do this stuff, come join the group and, um, you're going to learn, uh, exponentially faster. And, you know, with some hindsight today, I can look back and say, that's a, just, it's hundred percent correct. You know, you're immersed in it. You have so many people that you can bounce your your questions off of, and contrary to what you hear sometimes, the competitive side these guys are not like uh, you know real hard ass competitor type guys all the time. They're but that their community is fabulous, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, that people share the the, the knowledge, and um, you know it's just a, it's a great group. Yeah, that's well said. I I uh, the one thing that kind of strikes me with a lot a lot of you guys that are kind of involved in the competitive thing how do you find the time so like how important is it to have a day job that's flexible (laughs) with the schedule well i i think yeah i mean if you're uh thinking about competing locally and the goal is to just be involved and there's we have a you know, a broad contingent that that that's it. They just they're they're not planning to go anywhere internationally, but they they have fun doing the competitions. They're learning. They like the group. So if you're that type of person and you're going to be more uh, in some of our uh, in town or domestic competitions, I think there's there's room there for those people. But if the goal is to you know broaden and get outside of of uh, some of the local competitions and you have the the desire to try and fish internationally, you know, the, the time that it takes, you, you do have to be in a position where uh, you can put some time into it because it's like any other uh, venture, you know, you, you get out of it, what you, what you put into it. And in fly fishing, there's, you know, no one's writing checks for you too. So it's, <laughs> you have to be in a position where you can, uh, if you want to start traveling around doing some, some international competitions, you got to be, uh, you know, in a position to, uh, to afford to do that too. So mm-hmm. I think that it is, you know, it, it does limit it a little bit for, people but i think the people that are really driven to to go that route you know they they find a way yeah yeah for sure i I want to take some time to get to know you off the water are you ready for a few questions i like to ask on this on this podcast i think (laughs) sure i I know you're familiar i I know i sent you a list and you mentioned yeah you did you've heard a few so um it's probably nothing's gonna shock you here but um let's talk tune so uh, on your way to your favorite destination what's playing in the truck and the stereo i man i'm just all over the map so my my it's like a buffet with me i uh i'll I'll listen to anything um and i can go back to i'm 50 51 now i guess so i go back to 70s and 80s rock bands i go all the way through the spectrum and all these indie musics and uh Texas country is where I'm at today. So <laughs> I would probably have something, uh, uh, Sturgill Simpson or whiskey Myers or something like that playing on, uh, oh. on the radio if I had music playing, but, um, I'd also say there's probably a 50, 50 chance that it's uh, sports radio. That's on my, my radio <laughs> driving out there too. So <laughs> I can relate to that. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty diverse mix. Yeah. Um, Let's talk fly patterns. One go-to fly pattern, and obviously for somebody that spends so much time doing this competitively and in your personal time on the water, if, yeah. if you let's go to the rivers because I know I know. You, okay. Um. What What's your go-to if if you had to be limited to one pattern, whether it's different sizes, different colors? Is there a pattern that's your go-to yeah. for rivers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, when I first started doing the the competition stuff, uh, I had, uh, you know, I was on the internet, I was looking through different patterns, I had boxes on boxes, 
And as I progressed through the different levels and fished with better people, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. You, you open up the box of guys that are way better than you. And it's a combination typically of pheasant tails and hare's ears in all different colors and sizes and Mm -hmm. structures, but it's not rocket science. It is less about the fly at that level and more about how you manage that fly coming through the water. So if I had to pick one, I would stick with something generic and I'd probably uh, uh, use a pheasant tail pattern and I'd have many iterations of it. How important are these little hot spots that I know you guys are really all about? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so over the years I've tried uh, all kinds of things. And I, you know, I, I kind of come to the conclusion that it's uh, more about just letting the fish tell you. So when you come to the river with, a, a, you know, a fallout plan, I always always question that these days, whether that's the right thing to be doing or not. Coming with maybe a bit of a strategy is, is one thing, but I think you have to work through scenarios and let the, you know, respond and adapt to what the, the fish are telling you. So sometimes the hot spots or bright beads are uh, uh, are the thing. I've been, you know, early in the season in really cold water, fish are loath to move and they haven't seen a lot of stuff uh, uh, yet because the season is early and, you know, you can get away with maybe a, a bright orange bead in a river, uh, but as the season goes on and it gets more pressure, they're, you know, a little bit uh, less enthusiastic about moving to, you know, color and flashier patterns. And so people will look to just those presentations uh, accordingly. Actually, I have a good uh, good friend that I've made through the fishing community in Ireland. His name is uh, Peter Peter Driver, and he, he has a, a fly fishing store and stuff and a blog that he does. And uh, he wrote an article there. I think it's maybe a couple of years old. Um, but specifically what he was interested in is learning about um, the bead colors on the flies and so all he did is he took like five hooks and he put five different beads on the hooks with nothing else, mm. nothing, just the bead. And he went out and he fished those. And within an hour, I think he was, they have brown trout fisheries over there. I think he said on his blog, if I remember correctly, it was like about using about 18 different fish and it was all just on beads. <laughs> so that kind of tells you about the importance of, you know, some of the uh, exactness of the patterns that we see these days, uh, bead, bead color is is um, something that is, I, I think it is a, a difference maker potentially. Hmm. So, interesting I lo- though. I love the way you verbalize that. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm going to have to look his stuff up. Um, are you a big Pertagon guy? Is that a pattern you fish a lot? Yeah, I have uh, a box of them. So I think there's a time and a place for all different uh, styles of patterns. So paragons in particular, as you know, are really thinly tied and typically uh, small and designed to get small flies down quickly in the water. So, um, uh, you know, they're very effective in using them in those situations. Um, but, you know, there's there's a time and a place for for all things, right? So if you're in very shallow water and you're using uh, paradigons, it's not, not the best fit in my opinion, right? So, you know, depending on the situation that you're in, you have a tool in your, in your box to, to pull out in a paragon, uh, paradigon, and it's just a matter of uh, using it at the right times. And I'm curious, so when you hit the still water, I'm, yep. s- same question, one go-to fly pattern, is it, is it similar or what are we talking here? Um, well, usually, you know, for, for still waters, for me, I, um, through as a, over the course of the year, I kind of have in mind, uh, some of the different food items that are going to be in play. So in spring, maybe it's a little different than summer, a little different than fall. Um, you know, we're in, we're in fall now, so boatmen and things like shrimp patterns and maybe some leeches and things like that would be things that would be top of my mind as I went into a, a stillwater fishery these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the way that I set myself up is I have a, a boat bag and I'll, I'll pull out numerous patterns before I even go to the lake and I put them in a position on a top uh, foam pad on my box. And as I, as I work through them, 
uh, I'll move them into other positions on the foam pad. So I know that these are ones that I've tried that were unsuccessful. These are ones that I've tried that caught fish. This one was really good. And I just try and dial it down that way. Um, so to pick one fly is really hard because I don't really operate that way. I don't go to the lake and say, okay, I'm just using this one today. Cause this is the one that always catches fish. I, I have, uh, you know, probably 15 core patterns there that kind of cover the different things and uh i'll i'll work all kinds of things until i can figure out what uh what it's going to be that day you wouldn't by chance spend much time on the water with john wilkinson would you oh yeah yeah he's a john johnny's a teammate of mine so uh, (laughs) we we went to uh we were in new zealand together i'm sure he talked to you about being in new zealand for the commonwealth championships so we we fished together for uh oh i want to say like four years now competitively so yeah we uh we spent lots of time together i'm laughing to myself just because um i fished not that long back with your your buddy john and and i was yeah I just, I'm like a sponge. I'm trying to soak stuff up and I'm watching what he's doing and he just hit it on the head. <laughs> he's, I'm like, why are all those flies on top of your box? And I'm watching them and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. Yeah. But uh, I love it because somebody like myself, I just put it back in the box and I forget, you know? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I had I had a fellow on the podcast um, a few years ago and he said, you know, every fly that I catch a fish with I put it in this separate box when I take it off and then by the end of the year this is what worked all <laughs> I'm like oh man that's <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work but how yeah. how often do you change flies are you are you a uh, a quick change artist or what yeah I'm uh I'm a firm believer that uh you know fish are always opportunistic and if you're sitting in a spot and you're doing things that it's not working you need to continue to adjust your presentation and work on it until you can you can figure it out so um you know I'm I've been fishing enough now that I know uh the fishy spots in a in a lake or typical positions that would hold fish so I have a level of confidence that I can get myself into an area where fish are milling around. And then it's a matter of uh, finding the, the depth that, uh, that they're sitting at, the retrieve that they're interested in. And if you can get a fly that they're uh, aggressive towards with that correct retrieve and you're holding it at the right depth, that's the, that's the money combination. So, I just keep, uh, I'll keep adjusting until I get closer and closer to figuring it out. And I, I don't go too long. I wouldn't fish, uh, you know, in a competition setting. Um, if I have a, if I fish this lake before that I'm on and it's not hot right now and it's not producing, I'll just have my head on a swivel and I'll, I'll see if other boats are uh, having the same problems that I'm having or not. If I see someone or a boat partner is catching fish and I'm not, then I'm, I'm, I'm on it and I'll be uh, adjusting it until I figure it out. If I'm confident in the patterns and the techniques for that lake and I look around and no one else is getting fish either, then I'm less, you know, uh, I'm less pressured to, uh, to have to make adjustments, but uh, at a at that speed, I'll, I'll typically be more willing to stay with my confidence patterns a little longer. But um, like I say, if someone else is uh, getting on it and I'm not, I'll, I'll be shuffling the deck pretty quickly. Let's talk about your favorite place to talk fly fishing. So um, being that you're in Surrey, um, is there a fly shop locally you like to frequent? Is it maybe on Instagram? Is it a fly club? Is it with your fellow competitors? Where do you get your fix in the world of fly fishing when you're not, you know, in your waders? Well, as far as, um, yeah, it's interesting from the fly shoppers, but you, uh, castaways, I think, or, um, I'm sorry, casting loops in, uh, Camus just opened up and Brian, Brian's a teammate of mine too. So we, you know, that would be a place for, for sure, given that he sees family there. Um, the, uh, group that I fish with, you know, using, uh, different message forums and things like that. We're in constant contact. So I, I usually talk to those boys daily about, uh, 
you know, whatever whatever fishing thing is on my mind, or if you know, if we're we're uh, thinking about new patterns, we come across an article that we've read, or a video, or hmm. um, anything, we'll we'll share it through those those forums with the the group. So yeah, that's typically how I'll do it, um, and a lot of the you know, the, the things that I've kind of leaned towards are um, outside of our own borders. You know, so there's a lot of uh, you know, UK techniques and um, uh, videos and things like that that are that are available. And I, I love just exploring those new type of things that maybe we don't spend a lot of time doing in BC. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. You mentioned earlier that um, sports radio is never that far away. I want to talk sports. So being, All right. that, being that you're a lower mainland guy, yeah. let's talk your favorite sports teams. Are we talking hockey, football? Uh, where do you get your passion in the world of sports? Oh, I love it. I, I played sports my whole life. I played hockey. I played baseball, um, high school sports, basketball. I played, played it all. So I, I, I'm a, I'm a sports junkie. So my, my teams would be probably in the hockey. Well, for sure, it'd be the Canucks. Um I used to follow the Seahawks a little bit more, but um, these days my my youngest son is uh, Aiden. He's got me into uh, uh, fantasy football league now, so uh, <laughs> it's more of following individual players, right, uh, that are on my team. Yeah, so, yeah. So I uh, spend a lot of time um, watching the NFL games and Sunday nights and Sundays, and yeah, following yeah. all the players and. Um, Blue Jays, you know, I'll watch anything though. If uh, uh, Canadian soccer, I've really gotten into. I played soccer until my hockey took over when I was younger, and uh, but my son really got into playing soccer as a young kid. So mm. with with him, I started coaching and uh, you know just learning more about um, the technical side of it. It's just really drawn me into watching a lot of the, the soccer games as well. So. Um, yeah, yeah. If it's on, I'll find something to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how fantasy league stuff has changed yeah. the way we watch sports. Like I know it's amazing. I I actually had to get away from it because I I love cheering for a team, and we all have our yeah. teams. I talk about what my team is on here all the time, and I am an NFL fan. I just I just love it, yeah. and then hockey would be next for me. But it's like. When you start cheering for individuals, but the cool thing about it, Mike, is it's yes, they're individuals, but it's your team. Yeah. Because you yeah. created that team. It doesn't exist. But... It, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, way back from the Bloodsoe days with the Patriots, I followed the Patriots a lot as well as the Seahawks back in the day, but. Um, I was an early adopter of the the Brady stuff, and so you know I followed him. But I find myself watching more Bucks games these days than uh, you mm. know sticking with the Patriots. I just I find uh, watching that guy is uh, he's amazing. So, oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, if you had to distill down your fly fishing journey, whether it's competitive or just your just your time on the water, what it brings into your world. What does fly fishing do for you? Hmm. That wasn't on your list. <laughs> well, uh... so, you know, it's, um, for me, it's just a release. I have a, I have a busy life. So, you know, two kids and I have, uh, I have a business that I run and like you, you had mentioned earlier in wealth management and that keeps me hopping. Um, and so, you know, just walking away from all of that for a couple of hours to get out on the lake. And when, when I'm out there, I'm just, I'm not thinking about any of that stuff and just concentrating on, you know, the, the conditions in the lake and what I'm doing at the time. And I can come back from a, a day of that and just relax. You know, I can just, just, uh, uh, recharge by, by being out there on the water, whether it's still waters or, or rivers. So uh, mm -hmm. I guess that's, that's, that's what it's, it does for me. Yeah, makes sense. Fill in the blank for me. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Hmm. Um, well, I would be. Uh, well, recently I just took a. Last year I took up the um, the hunting course, so that's kind of a new thing on the the list that we're uh, we're looking to do this year. Um, that's taken up a bit of time. Um, my wife Kathy and I we do uh, lots of homesteading type cooking things at home I, I love to cook so I'll, I'll uh, get out there and 
and uh you know try lots of new different things and uh usually on the weekends we're we're uh you know we'll down to gravel island or something like that pick up something funky and try and figure it out <laughs> but we do lots of canning and all that kind of things together as well so um love doing that yeah. um those are probably the main things i coach i coach a lot so i've coached both my kids through uh through soccer and then uh even on the fly fishing side i i got into uh helping some of the the youth teams um uh, unfortunately we were we were destined to go to bosnia herzegovina that's how you that's how you pronounce it i think right i think so um, yeah so uh that was that was supposed to happen in uh summer of 2020 but unfortunately for those kids it's right when uh, the covid hit and all the travel got shut down and um the group of them have for the most part have aged out now so one downside to uh of many, I guess, to the the COVID year, but um, but you know, I get a lot out of uh, spending time with the kids, uh, whether it's soccer or fishing or, mm-hmm. or uh, any anything. Yeah. What's the best job you've ever had? Are, are you doing it now, or I do love what I do. I mean, I've uh, I started with this, so my, my path is uh, I, I um, came out of university and I uh, I got a job. Uh, through the company that I'm with now, basically because they sponsored a baseball team and the, the guys that were sort of coming down from the league that I was going to at the it's major men's fastball team, they they sponsored them. Um, so I got a job, long story short, I got a job through the, the company and worked through that company to, to where I am. I got to this position in the late 90s. So I guess I've been doing what I've been doing now on the wealth management side for 23, 24 years, something like that. Mm. Um, and I love it. I, I just, I love, uh, you know, being with the, 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 the people every day and uh, it's a, sort of a, a people facing type role. So uh, I've been very happy. That's worst, a long... worst job is working in a diaper factory. I, I worked Ooh. on an assembly line when I was like 15 in a diaper factory. I made diapers in Richmond. Wow. Was that, was <laughs> yeah. that on Anasis Island? That, you know what? I can't even, I think you're right. It was called, uh, Health healthcare diaper incorporated, I think, if I remember correct. That's going back a long time. <laughs> well, but, it makes uh, uh, but I, it just sucked. I just it it uh, it made me uh, realize that uh, I wanted to go to school because I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. Well, it's rare I hear uh, an investment advisor been doing it that long, so I'm sure you've seen a lot. Are right, you with Van City? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. through the the wealth management arm of Van City. Yeah. So it all started with a fastball sponsorship. And yeah, and maybe a, a math degree. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, there was uh, a couple of the the um, the guys that were kind of coming down when I was moving up to that team. All worked at Van City, and it was through um, you know even the facilities guy at Van City was uh, a, a thrower out of Ontario that they had brought out. His name is Andy Konopaki, and he was. Uh, he was a big name back then, and uh, but but all those guys they were all working for the company, but affiliated to the company through baseball, and uh, and so when I came out of university, I was looking for you know looking for work, and uh, a few of the guys that I played ball with said, "Oh, throw your application in here," and they they just got me a start, and didn't realize it was going to be. Uh, you know, 26 years later or whatever it's been now, I'd still be there. But um, I, ultimately what I'm doing now was in the plans when I was younger. We're chatting today with Mike Learmonth out of Surrey, BC, uh, daytime investment advisor, but he's also a competitive fly fisher uh, in the BC Comp Fly Fishing League, Team King Fly Fisher member since, well, I think 2015. And in 2016, they won the silver at the Canadian National Fly Fishing Championships. Very avid fly fisher. We're going to talk tying. There's so many ways, uh, so many avenues I want to explore with you. But first, I, w- I want to ask you to paint us a picture, Mike. Your dream day. So I always like to, being a competitive angler, I know you're fishing moving water. I know you're fishing still water. But I want your dream day. Um, What does it look like? Walk us through that. What do you, is there something, you know, uh, to drink? Is there a good meal involved in there? Being a bit of a foodie, (laughs) I'm I'm sure there is. Walk us through your, your ideal day. 
you know what? It's uh, so I've listened to a few of your your podcasts that have come through, and I've listened to the the answers. Some people have some incredible uh, uh, things that they want to do. Whether it's you know I've heard the the fish, uh, what is it, the time and fish in China, or the rooster fish and bonefish and all these different things. For me, it's it's quite simple. I'd definitely be on a river over a still water, uh, and that's not because I like river fishing better. It's just the scenery and stuff. For me, I just I I don't know the moving water. It just does it for me. So, perfect place would be, you know, somewhere more remote, um, mountainous, where you feel isolated, but you just have that beautiful scenery. And uh, I'm not one of those guys who needs to have, uh, you know, six pound fish coming all the time. I I am as happy with a 12 inch trout as I am with a 12 pounder. So it's not about that for me. It's just got it's you know where they're coming from and how they're coming to me. That that's what makes it special. So and you know the 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 more I've uh, spent time on the the rivers, it's the ones that. Uh, you know, they, they seem to be difficult or technical fisheries, but they reward you when you're doing things correctly. I, I do love those type of fisheries. So you get on them and, you know, you're you're maybe not doing things optimally. Or maybe you get the wrong technique for the area on the river going uh, and you don't get rewarded, but you sit back, you think it through, you come up with a better strategy, you adapt and that river starts rewarding you. I love that that type of a uh, type of a river. So oh. some fisheries I go to, like I I can think of off the top of my head, uh, Upper Deschutes in in Oregon. You know, it's a great place to take someone where they don't uh, have a lot of experience because you can take anybody there and get them into into fish. But there's other rivers that I've fished over time where they're they're much more technical, and that's the ones that I've come to to really like. So. That would be the water type. Um, I'd probably be there with my boys and my wife. Uh, we we typically find time to to go do it as a family, which is awesome. And you're right. I would probably uh, with the the cooking side that I like to do. I would uh, I'd probably have some kind of a lunch in there. <laughs> that would be uh, that would be extra special for the day. I always think whenever you can have something decent to eat in an outdoor environment, a setting like yeah. that, there's something, it's very primitive for me as much as it's not because it's usually something good to eat, but it yeah. just kind of completes that circle somehow. Oh yeah. Always tastes better out there too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And then by the <laughs> end of the day, you're so darn tired. It's just like falling asleep is not work. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's one thing I find and, you can dial me in on this, but the one thing that I find when I watch competitive fly fishers fish, it is work. Like when, when I'm fishing, I'm having a sandwich. I'm not always paying attention, but I notice you guys are always, you're always looking around. You're always observing. So it takes a lot of energy. Maybe speak, yeah. speak to that a little bit. It's, it is a bit of a different mindset. Yeah, you're, that's a hundred percent correct. It's draining. And, um, you know, if you haven't done it, it's sort of hard to explain. It's if you've been uh, you know, sitting in a library studying for hours for an exam and you feel drained because your focus level has been really high, it's it's kind of like that. You're, you get on the water in a comp setting, you know, you, you're fishing with a team of uh, typically four other people. So there's normally groups of five. And when you're, you know, your turn is up, you, you know, you are wanting to uh, make sure you're doing everything for your teammates, right? So you tend to be more focused. You tend to uh, uh, try and create efficiencies with the way that you're adjusting lines and leaders and flies and everything's about speed and efficiency in, in the comp setting. And uh, little, you know, the, the difference between a Todd Oshi and a Mike Learmont is, is it's small. It's not, it's not a, a big things. Todd and I, if you look in um, equipment wise, we, we got the same. I fished with Todd in, in Ireland for the Commonwealth. And so I'm well versed in, you know, the, the types of uh, uh, flies and, and um, techniques. I mean, we, we've talked about all that in fishing as, as, as teammates there, uh, and I can tell you, like, we have the same equipment we have, we use the same tippet. We use, uh, you know, similar flies, 
So at the end of the day, it's not about the those things. That's not the difference maker. The difference for a guy like him is his experience and the the his his memory of past uh, positions that he's been in on lakes and on rivers, and he can he can pull from that memory bank. Um, and he's been there before. So if he runs into a tough set of conditions, he's quick to adapt because he's ran into that problem at some point and he knows how to adjust his presentations quickly. So the difference between the two, it's not so much the, the equipment or you're using this fly, I'm using this fly. It's more about um, being able to draw on that, that, uh, that, ex- that experience bank and, uh, and, and, that you know you're you're constantly focused you're constantly trying to think and you're right it it is uh it's completely draining i'm always i fall asleep usually in the nines when i'm a, when i'm in a in a comp uh competition where i'm away it's off the water bite to eat and i, I just crash because you're you're quite drained what's so. your favorite thing now this wasn't on the list either what is your favorite thing about competitive fly fishing um well, I have to say the the speed of like you know originally for me, I took uh, courses. Uh, I was always interested in personally just trying to improve, and I would read and monitor these European con- uh, competitions, and I-, I could see the fish numbers coming out of these things. And uh, so you know immediately, even as a recreational angler, you know, what are these guys doing? Everybody wants to to catch a, a you know another extra fish on the on the day out. So that's what what drew me into it. And and the comp side, it's really just introduced me to a bunch of fantastic people who have really shortened the learning curve. And the the traveling side, being able to to go and uh, visit other fisheries and do things in a different way. I mean, it's just all growth. And um, that's probably what I love the, the most about it, you know. And I grew up in, in BC here fishing like most other people that I see in BC where, you know, a typical strategy on a lake is you dump the boat in and you, you drive the lake with your electronics and you're you're looking for structure and fish and uh, hatches maybe and and then, you know, anchor up get the get the depth with your dropping your lines down and then hang things right so i i did that for years and years and years and i love fishing that way um but there came a point where uh i looked for learning other things and that's what i find i've really gotten from the the comp side is a lot of the ways that i was used to doing things they're not allowed in a in a in a comp setting and so you're forced to to learn these new techniques and i that that's that's uh it's been a windfall it's funny yeah i like the way you said that because i i I get what you're saying but for me honestly the hanging the things came later like it was always like you know well we're throwing dries and rivers and creeks and you're fishing the dries and then I get out on these lakes and, you know, when when I first started, you're kind of going in blind. This was before all the, uh, the the heavy electronic equipment was out there, but you're trying to read the lake. And yeah, uh, Randy Pascal always, I love the way he said it, contour trolling. I was a contour troller. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all were at one point. And then, and then you kind of dial it in a little bit more, but what, what really hit me was watching the first time I ever saw somebody, um, chronomid fishing. And I was like, what what is going on over there that guy just caught like 47 fish in three hours and when it's on it's on and but oh yeah but then what i i find is um you talked about it before when getting to a lake having expectations is a dangerous thing so we i mean i know as a stillwater guy i'm guilty of this i'm sitting i've got way too many chronomids for for the fishing that I'm doing. And then it's like, you don't know, no, actually they're on damsels. Actually they're on mayflies. Actually they're on shrimp. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. But if you have the right size and color, if it's a green chronomid, maybe it looks like a shrimp. So you're still going to get some takedowns, but you yeah. know, that feeling that minute you go, you know, you're changing, you're changing, you're changing. And it's like, man, I got the color. I got the depth. I'm getting yeah. a fish every cast. That's, the holy grail that we're all searching for. Yeah. Yeah. Getting it all dialed. Right. Yeah. And, and that never gets old. No, no. So, I mean, I I think we're all chasing that and I don't know how to verbalize it, but that's, that's good. Yeah, I guess. But, uh, yeah. So, um, 
I, I want to talk tying. Talk to me about your fly tying. Like how much of a part of what you do with the competitive side and, and, and also, you know, your recreational side, because I know, I know that's important too, to have time on the water, like you said, with family where it's not just yep. about the numbers and it's not just about the success. It's about the experience. How much of a part of your life is fly tying? Uh, significant. <laughs> yeah. I do a lot of tying. Um, yeah, you'd be, uh, uh, I'd be embarrassed to show you my lake boxes. It's ridiculous. And, um, but, um, yeah, I tend to, these days I kind of do one larger box per, uh, you know, types of types of flies. So for instance, like I'll have one that is more specific to say blobs and fab type patterns. I'll have boobies in another area. I'll have my dragons and my damsels in one area and so on. But I've, I've got a lot of, a lot of stuff <laughs> it's ridiculous so you know and i i love usually what i do is uh i have an empty box so if i'm going to go out to um my uh, to do a competition and i'm doing my practice days i'll work through it just as i was explaining earlier with that foam pad on the, the top of my box but as I'm coming into patterns and things that I uh, I think are, are working, I'll, I'll absolutely make notes, like written down uh, notes on it, and I will uh, start to build rows of uh, things inside of my empty box. And so when I get back uh, after the practice sessions, I can look back, compare my notes and uh, the flies in that box, and I know, okay, well, here's here's all the patterns for this lake, here's the patterns for this lake, here's the patterns for this, this is how I was fishing them, these lines, these retrieves, that type of a thing. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of how I work through the, uh, the, the um, fly choices, but, you know, I, I tend to throw in a bunch of patterns in the practice sessions that, uh, I come across that are maybe significant patterns in other areas of the world, and there's def they definitely transfer. So, and I often find you know like different things. So, uh, an example would be um, you know Todd as is I heard on his podcast. I think he was talking to you about his vampire leech. And I think you fish those as, as well as we all do. Yeah. But when you're in a comp setting you start to think, well, if there's, you know, 12 boats floating around this little lake and every single one of them knows about fishing a vampire and starts out fishing vampires because they do work on it, you know, it gets pretty tired, I think, for the <laughs> for the fish to see very mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. So having little adjustments and making things a little bit differently or showing them something that they haven't seen can be a can be an effective way of uh, keeping things going and so uh, oftentimes you know we get we get we hear about all these these uh, great patterns but some of my most effective ones are uh, things that that um, you know I've got from from elsewhere you know uh, UK patterns or things like that so hmm. yeah I, I I experiment I tie I, uh, I I spend a lot of time on the in my I have an office upstairs with a whole fly tying area in there that I spend lots of time in there is that where you're sitting right now? That's exactly where I'm sitting yeah. right now. Me, <laughs> yeah. Me, me too. Go, yeah. <laughs> go, go to color blob. A go to color and, blob. Are, well, are you gonna are you gonna BS me here and not tell me the real goods? <laughs> no. the 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 truth of it is, is I probably have about half a dozen of them, and uh, different fisheries with different water colors. You know, tannin waters or not different things work. And so, um, uh, you know, I just, I keep a selection of them. And as I move around from lake to lake, I will, as I, I said, and I'm being honest with you uh, there, I try not to go into a lake that I haven't fished with a, with a pre-game plan. I, I try and work through things and let the fish tell you what, what the game plan's going to be. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I, they're, they're, all your your core ones, like you know your your tequilas and all those things. There's there's no um, there's no uh, um, surprises left when it comes to to blobs and, and poofies. Every color combination that people can think of is out there. And there's all the standards, you know, like the the vivas, which is sort of a black and chartreuse. There's uh, there's the tequila, which I'm sure you're familiar with. There's mm-hmm. 
biscuits and pinks and uh, and they all work they all have their time in their their place so different fisheries i'll use different ones and often it's depth is important if i'm fishing it you know really deep maybe the materials that i'll use are, are slightly different or color can make a difference at depth because of the way light comes through the, the water so uh you know you, you just have to think through the situation and use the right tool in the box um, I, I get the question a, a lot mark and i even from other competitors uh you know like uh, i had a competition once at just a local community it's just a fun thing and i guess i we were sitting there and my my son was fishing with me and we saw one other boat that was catching fish and so we picked up and we moved over and we went in there and and for whatever reason luck was on our side and we we picked about four or five fish out of this with this one area and then just kind of slowed down and we we moved and the boat that we went in near that had caught the fish sent me an email afterwards saying well how, how did that happen because we were there for like 15 minutes and we we uh um, you know, we got one fish out of there and then you guys came in and like five minutes, you got five out of it. And I think it, what it is, is it's just having the right tool for the conditions at the time. Right. And so we had figured out what was, what was working on the, the, the lake. And then you put that into an area where it's holding fish and lo and behold, you, you start to, to pull some out. So yeah. I hate answering the question of what your, what your go-to because, the the truth is I don't have one go to I have probably about I'd say like twelve, yeah. fifteen really core patterns in the box and uh, right. so if I was going to go through them I'd be I'd be working all of them I have confidence in all of them but I'd be trying to figure out amongst all of those what uh, what's what's going to be working for that day in that lake. Well, and I think the truth is that is always evolving, right? What you're using yeah. now is not what you're using three years ago necessarily. Yeah, totally true. And, you know, even throughout the day, things change, conditions change as the sun moves or clouds move away or, you know, uh, more boats on the water uh, heats up. All, all these things are, it's constantly in flux. So being able to um, think those conditions through and then think about, well, what are the fish doing in this situation? Well, how is this going to affect them? And, and adjusting presentations to um, to those changing conditions. That's where I see the really good fishers that I've, uh, anglers that I've, I've ran into. That's, that's what they're so good at. Mm. Yeah. And then like you say, pulling from that bank. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to take it to the vice. So, um, okay. being that you're sitting in your tying room, what, yep. what's your go-to, like, what do you like to tie on? And I, I'm not necessarily, you know, trying to promote any brands, but what do you like to use? Oh, for hook wise or? No, sorry. I mean for your your vice, like the vice that you're tying on. So the the main oh, tool okay. in this whole in this whole setup. Oh yeah, I'm simple. I just have a peak. <laughs> I have a peak rotary. Um, I've had that for years and years, and uh, that's all I that's all I use. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm not a fancy uh, Renzetti guy or anything like that. Um, just have it simple. Couple wow. hundred bucks. It's white, matches the furniture, so <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, a, that's an interesting take. Uh, <laughs> I guarantee you, my vice does not match the furniture. Um, <laughs> talk to me about tools. Is there a certain tool you're like, man, I can't live without this, or is there a certain dubbing, or is there is there something you use in your day to day tying that you're like, I need to use this thread. I need to have this. Um, well, I think that's true. I guess, you know, the, uh, one thing I do love to do is my little coffee grinder for mixing dubbings. So I do mix my own dubbings and, um, uh, you know, I just find that I can, I can add UV, take UV out, have different flash material i can make it spikier i can make it lay flat i can do all kinds of things when i when i manage that my myself and you can go buy it but i don't always find the the color is where i where i want to get it to so my little coffee grinder would be uh would be a a keeper i wouldn't want to give that up because that's where i I mix a lot of my dubbings up and (laughs) over the years i've just kept when i do do one and i take it out and it's successful i have a little log on the computer of uh, the recipes and you know which which flies i'm using it for and that's evolving over time so so with um, the dark roast bean is it kind of possum <laughs> possum fur is that kind of the, is that <laughs> the go-to go, right? 
Oh man, <laughs> exactly. I, 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 uh, I used to use our coffee grinder that we yeah. use for coffee, and I, uh, yeah, I don't do that anymore. And you know what? Coffee grinders now are so cheap, right? You can, oh buy, yeah, I think you know, paid fifteen bucks at Walmart or something yeah. for one. Or yeah, it's, yeah. it's nothing. So. But, but I yeah, think see, there's another layer, Mike. So you, there's a layer. Not only are you tying flies yourself, you know, you you're, you got your own spin on it, but then you're doing your own dubbing. Like for me, all of that stuff adds up to things that are slightly unique, you yeah. know, like your spin on it. And, you know, good or otherwise, chances are, especially, here's my thing, with a lot of these fisheries, they're fairly pressured now and and pressure's mm-hmm. getting even more so so and especially in competitions those fish have seen a lot of flies if you could show them something just slightly different i, I do think yeah. that's a huge leg up yeah i agree with you 100 uh, percent. you notice that in competitions because like i say a lot of the anglers all have boxes that are filled with the same things you know and um so being able to maybe just give them a different view or move in a different way or a different coloration i think that is uh is worth exploring for sure you know i'm a big believer from a fly tying perspective i know there's uh um there's so many great tires that are that are out there and guys writing these these uh books and i see them on instagram i follow them all because their skill level is incredible um having said all of that for me personally it's always function over over form for for me so i'm putting something that i like yeah it's 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 you know for me it's it's thinking about if i add a material onto a fly what's the purpose of doing that so and if i do it what's the repercussions of it so as an example um you know maybe in a in a river uh if i know that i'm going to be fishing an area that is maybe very shallow but moving water maybe i'll want to use something with a spiky dubbing or a hackle a collar on it that's a little bit stiffer to keep it out of the rocks and keep it coming along uh, along bottom lighter beads uh, things to keep it <clears throat> moving appropriately for those those water conditions. You mentioned pedagons earlier, and if you're fishing in a place with faster moving water, but you're trying to get a small fly down with a small bead, well, it's pretty hard to sink a small fly with with spiky dubbing in fast moving water. Right. So the design of a pedagon is to cut through the column and get it down quickly. And whenever I'm tying, whether it's still water or river, I really try and pay attention to what is the purpose? Why am I adding this uh, to, to the fly when I, when I do add things? And I, I don't care about, you know, the right amount of ribs on my chronomids or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking of uh, is in terms of the materials that I'm adding, why am I using this color why why uv for this fly how am i going to be using the fly um you know that type of thing Mm. so yeah yeah even on things like simple as like boobies and and uh and fabs and things with foam in them you know we we tend to go to the store buy the foam eyes and tie them on i spend a lot of time uh you know experimenting with things like the the uh the size of the foam and i tie them in a way that i can i can adapt the amount of foam on the fly so if i cast out my my line and i'm figuring that the uh area that i'm fishing and the the foam is holding it in a zone where i don't want it there's things i can do to to uh, adapt my presentation. One of them is to reduce the floatability of the fly, right? Mm-hmm. So I have, uh, I'm always thinking that way. I guess it's, I have a bit of a analytical nature that way, just, just the way I am. So I, I, I definitely think in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of function over, over form with, with my flies for sure. I, I, you just brought up something that I do a lot and I, I, I kind of got hooked on it. So adapting flies that are already tied, Okay, yeah. so, you know, you, you got like, well, it, this is too buoyant. I'm just going to take a little foam off it. Well, guess what? I wish I had this in black. Wait a minute. I got a Sharpie. Do you, you know what I mean? Like, do you carry yeah. a Sharpie? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, I, I love it. I love it. Yep. Me too. Yep. What? That's the easiest way to change a bead color, too. Or sometimes, you know, just dulling it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, it can be a game changer. Oh, 100%. D- yeah. Um what color sharpies are you carrying in that bag or is this top secret uh, stuff? I have, no. 
I have a, a brown and a black one uh, that are in my boat bag. Uh, and so those are the main ones that I would use. It's usually taking like a silver type bead and darkening it, uh, just taking the, the sheen off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's typically how I would use it. But, you and I don't to... use it that often because the truth is, is I have black beads in my box too. So I can make a quick adjustment, right? Do I need to edit any of this? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, but no, no, no. I, I just, uh, I was going to mention a fly pattern there when you were talking about foam, and I thought, no, I swore, John, I will never, ever say that word on the podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, this is good stuff, man. I'm really enjoying chatting with you. I I, I want to take it kind of to a, um, it's kind of a philosophical question, and, and there's no right or wrong in this, man. I just, as somebody that's been doing this a long time, when you look at the world of fly fishing, is there anything that you go, you know what, we kind of suck at this, or, or maybe we can do this a little better, or I wish this wasn't happening, is, or are we just all good? Like, what would you say to that? Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, well, you know, I, I definitely think there's... Uh, there's things that, uh, that, you know, there's always room for improvement, I guess, is the, the saying, right? So I look at, you know, things like the Thompson River steelhead returns, and uh, I just shake my head at this kind of stuff, right? Uh, just an incredible fishery that we've we've had here in BC, and uh, I'm not even sure what the return numbers are now, but it's like oh, it's ridiculously low, right? Yeah. And I think we just... You know, I just, I hate watching that happen. So those, those are the simple low hurdles, um, you know, from, uh, I think in general, what I'm seeing, I, 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 I also sit in the board with, uh, with Todd of, of, uh, and a few of the other guys, I think Evo you've met before too, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, yep. but, um, and w- one of the, the focuses there is to try and promote the sport. Uh, more to the youth and to create a um, a lane within fly fishing Canada to uh, develop a women's team and maybe even you know all women's competitions, which we're seeing more uh, from other areas of the world. Uh, Scotland has a fantastic women's team. Ireland is uh, uh, is in that realm as well. In Canada, we have a couple of very good anglers, but um, we haven't done a great job to date on really developing that and putting a focus on it to make it happen. So it's something that we've talked about a, a lot uh, uh, at that, uh, at, at the board level for fly fishing Canada. And that's, I'd love to see that, you know, and uh, I think we're doing a better job these days or up until when COVID hit, we were doing a better job. We had, we, uh, with the youth, we had made some, um, uh, some relationships with some different schools that have school programs and we were able to to get a national competition for the the kids we had kids coming from Nova Scotia to here in BC and from Alberta and all the way across to come and participate in it prior to COVID so we, we were doing a good job and making a scene there but um, there's definitely room for improvement and I'd love to see that that uh, side of our sport grow yeah that's really well verbalized. I, I love it. Um, and I mean, you and I are the same age, basically. Oh yeah. I, I just, That's I just, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say that. Um, but what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with that is I just, I look at where we're at now and I go, Holy mackerel. This is amazing. Like when yeah. when I wanted to get into fly fishing, I couldn't find anybody. It was so hard oh, I, to find anybody. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to get into fly tying. I didn't, there's no YouTube. There's no nothing, <laughs> right? It was oh, like, how amazing. do I, I buy some old book with some, some you know, some yeah. diagrams and try to figure it out. But now it's yeah. just like we can, you talk about shortening a learning curve. When I watch somebody like, you know, yourself or somebody like Tim Camisa or somebody like, yeah. uh, Oh, geez, I, I don't even know where to go with this, but like, um, what's that Scottish guy? Davey McPhail. I watched somebody like yeah, that, Davey. Ty, and I'm like... Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's just like, what? Um, but that's how we learn, right? By watching others do it and by surrounding 
we can surround ourselves in this day and age with people that are better at things than we are in our living room, mm-hmm. in our living room, right? Not, not going to the library yeah. that nobody yeah, has yeah, to yeah. do anymore. And for me, I just, I just find it very, very motivating. And I, I just, when I look around to where we're at now, to where we've come, yep. I think it's pretty damn good. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, there's um, there's so much available to, to people now. Um, you know, I, I remember my fly tying ventures. It was uh, uh, one of those small table clamp vices and Skip Morris's uh, mm-hmm. fly tying book that he had back in the day. That's how I, you know, I picked that up at a store somewhere along the line. And uh, I think yeah. it ha- had the, the waspy little package that had you know, oh, yeah. three kinds of feathers and furs, and that's that was the start of it all, right? <laughs> um, now you go on the internet, and there's just videos and teaching aids, and uh, it's amazing. Yeah. And you know, even even uh, last year, such an off year for everybody with uh, all the COVID. But but I I kept telling friends that uh, love to fly fish that as far as a learning period, it was about the best that I've seen in my time doing it because with everybody sitting at home, there was so many willing, fantastic fly fishers. I guess in some sense you have to know where to look, but we had, um, you know, Spanish champions, the English champions, all doing free YouTube presentations and, and streaming and talking about, you know, their setups and uh, tying flies and talking about how to develop leader systems and all that kind of stuff. And it's all there for any enterprising person who wants to learn about all that. It mm-hmm. all exists out there, and it just just comes down to uh, uh, going and mining it. You know. Yeah, well said. So, is there anywhere we can go to see what Mike Learmont is up to? Like, are are you on an Instagram guy, or is there anywhere we can go to see some of these uh, fish picks or patterns you're tying, <laughs> or, or or not? Yeah, well, I'm on. Uh, I guess I'm on Facebook and I'm on uh, Instagram. I have an Instagram account. Um, and I think my Instagram account is at bugchucker16. Okay. Uh, or, uh, yeah, uh, just my name on, on Facebook. But Love yeah. it. Well, Mike, thank, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us tonight. I, I love what you've, you've been up to kind of over the years and i i know you and i chatted before this and it's like for me it's like your name kept coming up kept coming up i'm like who i gotta talk to mike i gotta talk to mike <laughs> so i thanks for taking the time to do this and, and keep up all the good work you're, you're doing thank you it was a pleasure to uh to be part of it all appreciate the the offer to, to join you we've been chatting tonight with mike learmont out of surrey british columbia canada investment advisor by day and avid, passionate fly fisher, a member of the BC um, Comp Fishing League, and Team Kingfisher uh, 2016 uh, silver medal at the Canadian National Fly Fishing Championships. Thanks for joining us this time around. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.